Welcome to She Said Homestead, the podcast that explores homesteading from a range of perspectives. We're Sage and Michaela, two homesteaders, each with unique experiences, properties, and future goals for our homesteads. We're discussing various homesteading topics, sharing our personal experiences as women working full-time who are managing homesteads as well, and shining a light on the stories of other inspiring homesteaders. Before we dive in, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving a review. It really helps us grow and share these homesteading stories with even more people. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Sage from Terra Nova Acres. And I'm Michaela from Calico Cow Acres. Today we're talking about eating seasonally in the winter and we are gonna kind of just go through what we do to try and eat seasonally over winter time and how we plan to try and do that better in the future since we're kind of new at this still. And then I think we have maybe some rough recipes to share with you. Yeah, but before we get into the topic at hand today, I want to know about your week. I finally planted my garlic this week. I got it done. (laughs) Got it done before the new year. I think we, we did it the 30th, December 30th. That's definitely the Still latest. Yeah, no, it's it's done. It, fall garlic in my mind. Still, that's definitely the latest we've planted it so far. So hopefully next year we will prioritize that better. Yeah, I think that's what I say about just about everything. I'll do it better next year. <laughs> I know. Last last week I said the exact same thing about the dahlias, prioritizing them. So yep, yep. It's planted. I'm happy. I still have to plant onion sets and shallots and fall bulbs but the garlic is planted and that's the most important thing in my garden to be completely honest (laughs) there you go well i know that this last week at least when we're filming this or recording this it was new year's do you have any either resolutions for 2024 or predictions for 2024 I have a whole bingo board of resolutions, like a whole 25 pack, actually 24. The the freebie is survive in the middle. Um, Ooh, <laughs> that would be preferable. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't have any specific goals, I would say, other than they're mostly just like checklist items. Predictions. That's a tough one. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Do you? Do you have any? So... I have both. I don't have, I don't really do the whole New Year's resolution thing, but I I definitely have general goals and I would do that with or without the whole New Year's thing. Mm -hmm. This year will be my third like growing season at this homestead. And the first two years were definitely years of investment financially, physically, mentally, emotionally, pouring blood, sweat, and tears quite literally uh, into the homestead. And this year, I'm really determined to spend less money investing in things. I really, really need to chill out because it's easy to just stay on that slippery slope and keep getting more stuff and keep growing everything um, as quickly as is fun to do, right? But mm-hmm. my my goal for 2024 is to capitalize on the infrastructure and the animals uh and the momentum that i already have without going overboard i feel like that will give you a little bit of a i guess break if there's a lot of different ways to define that but two comments right one didn't you just say you were looking at new cars (laughs) i did also buy a car this week (laughs) 
I know. Yeah. So there's there's a little bit of hypocrisy there, but also I made like? a deal with the universe. I was like, look, universe, this is in your hands. You show me this specific car with A, B, C, D, E, F, G qualities, and I'm going to buy it. And if I don't see it, I'm not going to worry about it. But if I do see it, I'm, I'm doing it. And I got this random inkling to check for this car a couple weeks ago. And I found it. And I was like, all right, stop me if this isn't right. <laughs> and they didn't stop me. So on January 1st, I got a new car. Oh, I was going to ask if it was in 2023 that you did it. Because now that means, you know, reckless decisions already. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about reckless. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that financial commitment was not something that I was super eager to make, but it is, it does enable me to pursue longer term goals with the homestead. So I had a Jeep before. I absolutely love that car. It's two-door Jeep Wrangler. I didn't want to give up Wranglers. So I got a new Wrangler, just it's slightly larger. It's a four-door um, so that means I have more cargo capacity and that means I have better towing capacity because the two-door Jeep basically can't tow anything. It can yeah. tow an empty trailer and that's about it. Um, and I just want to be able to move the sheep around with a small trailer if I need to. It makes me nervous having them and not having the ability to to transport them if I would need to. That makes and sense. Some other things, but I'm not going to own those other things publicly yet. Those are Those are... <laughs> me thoughts right now are uh is there straw in it already <laughs> no i am really trying oh my gosh clean out that <laughs> that previous jeep was oh my god i found some old seed packets so that's cool added that to my collection um definitely definitely got a lot of straw throw that on the compost pile <laughs> i want a loose chain so well, uh, I mean, saved you some money. There you go. <laughs> Not really, but <laughs> that's how I'm going to look at it. A little bit. A little bit. I feel like that's a really good goal for the new year, though. Like, especially with making content, I feel like it's hard to not always be like, I need to do more projects and more projects to have something to film. Uh, that's something right. I struggle with, too, because I'm like, I could film what we're doing without having a project but then it's just me cooking and that's boring because <laughs> all I'm buying yeah. is food. so that's a request that I get all the time for my content people are like post post more stuff of your daily routine and your chores and in winter there's only so many creative ways that I can show you how I feed the chickens grain and how I feed the sheep hay like <laughs> it's not a lot going on yeah that's really it I filmed a property walk today, like a winter property walk, and I went in areas that are not accessible in the summer, so that was kind of cool, Ooh. and I got to like, show some parts and up-close things that I've never shown on YouTube just because I usually can't get to them, so that's kind of cool, but that's one video, so <laughs> that was like my idea. I'm like, okay, I want to do that for the new year, but yeah, I'm going to do a seed haul, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I just filmed my seed haul this week and that was good for my organization because I was keeping all the newer stuff separate. I wasn't integrating it with my um, existing collection because I wanted to be able to confidently know what I had ordered and what I hadn't. Um, so that was a good opportunity to go through my seeds and 
some people who watched it also threw in suggestions for other varieties and other seed sources in the comments. So some of those were, were genuinely helpful. I watched it three times and oh I watched seeds. <laughs> Peer pressure. <laughs> yeah, so I have some flower seeds coming now. <laughs> to be fair, ah, I, really, I, needed, I did influence you. <laughs> I needed to um, order eucalyptus seeds anyway and edamame seeds because I realized I only had a 25 pack of edamame seeds and it was already like open. So mm. I was already ordering them and I was like, well, <laughs> Sage had some good yeah. ones on there. <laughs> so I think I got Lysianthus and a few others that I don't remember right now. I'm not going to look them up, but I looked at those. Lysianthus? I'm excited. Lysianthus is one of my favorite things to grow now. I think they'll I be it. really pretty. I got like some peachy pink colored ones, I think, maybe. Maybe white ones. I don't remember. I got a couple. <laughs> Whatever it is, it'll be beautiful. Yeah. So that's another thing that I did this week was I also planned my garden as far as not my garden. I planned my seed starting schedule. I wrote down when I need to start every single seed and I like added them all to my little spreadsheet and everything. It was a lot. It was like a three day process. <laughs> I thought I was going to get to that this week, but I haven't. I have set aside the stuff that I, I know that I need to start sooner or later in the next week or so, but I have not sat down and really done a full planning spiel. I did that because our basement was just still chaos from the flood and we need to get all the shelves down there and get the lights set back up and just get the whole area cleaned and sorted and everything. And Taylor's building me canning shelves right now, like literally as we speak. But <laughs> my seed starting shelves currently have all of our canning stuff on them. So we have to build canning shelves up here so we can put the seed starting shelves back downstairs. And it's a whole process. So I was like, I'm going to get it organized and figure out what I need to start. So like, as soon as that stuff's put back in place, I can start it this weekend, hopefully. So we're doing eucalyptus. I think lavender and a few other like greens and stuff this week probably just because I am I've been craving salad lately I don't know <laughs> I mean that makes sense yeah it's the time to eat it I still have a little bit of salad left somehow it's a new year's thing I think I'm always like okay I hate mm. all of the last three weeks I need salad <laughs> I had a garden harvested salad today for lunch it was delicious that sounds delicious maybe we should talk about what eating seasonally in the winter looks like. Yeah, I suppose we could get to the topic if you would like. <laughs> I mean, we could easily just geek out on garden planning for this whole hour, but I think we should probably actually talk about the topic. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to just talk about garden planning today? <laughs> of course I do. I think it makes sense to start the conversation with what we naturally crave during winter. And that's going to be a little bit different for everybody. But to some extent, at least my perception of it all, is that our bodies kind of know know what we need in that season and know what's available. Uh, so when I think of foods in winter, I definitely think of a lot of breads and pastas and things because grains are very easy to store. I definitely think of things like winter squashes and hearty greens like kale is there anything else that you typically think of as winter food? I would say everything you just said 
plus things like spinach. I really like spinach salads in the winter because spinach just seems to grow really, really well. And then um, potatoes. <laughs> I really love mm. potatoes. I just made potatoes for potatoes. sure. Root veggies for sure. And another thing that I forgot to mention was meat. Typically, I crave red meat in the winter and more chicken and things in the summer. But I definitely eat more meat in the winter than I do spring, summer. I think that's a weird one for me because I've not gone through more than a year of eating meat again. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like my cycles aren't, I guess, honed on that. And this is kind of all very new to me as far as seasonal eating in general. Other than the last few years, I would say I've not really been aware of seasonal eating at, at all, like whatsoever. I've always just eaten packaged foods. I grew up with Kraft mac and cheese like year round. <laughs> like that's just what I ate. So I don't know. I will probably fall into, into a similar cycle with the meat situation. I would say I crave venison in the winter more. As I grew up, my family hunted, all my, my whole family hunted. So we always had venison. And so that's something that I really associate with winter time. And I would say also things like this is going to sound super weird. <laughs> Things like kielbasa, because that's like a holiday thing that my family always has because I'm super Polish. <laughs> so we always have kielbasa at uh, like holiday gatherings at my grandma's house. So definitely seasonal. I would say chicken more in the summer for sure, since it's lighter. The thought of ground beef, I would say, like red meat in the winter ground. But if you're talking about like steaks, I would think of summer. Just that's not me me saying what I'm craving, but just what I think of. I, I guess I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, pot roast is also another thing that I think of when the weather gets colder. Yeah, any any like soupy roast crock pot type things are are definitely a winter thing for me. Mm -hmm. Even though I I've known to eat soup year round. <laughs> I love soup. Nothing wrong with soup. I have no grudges against soup. <laughs> of all of those selections, the only thing that I can think of that you wouldn't be able to find at the grocery store is venison. Venison is really something that you gotta you gotta know somebody or you have to go out and get it yourself. Yeah, in um in the state of North Carolina, it's actually illegal to sell it. I think they sell it at the grocery they do sell some at some grocery stores. I would say probably like specialty ones for the most part. You can't just go to Walmart and get it, I don't think. But in North Carolina, if you get a deer and you, or you have venison and you would like to give it to somebody, you have to gift it. You can gift it <laughs> for a donation, but you can't sell it. I actually just ran across this on one of our, our local Facebook pages. Somebody was asking um, if anyone was selling venison and there was like, someone who deals with the criminal aspect of that like yes i'd like to know <laughs> i'm there i was like oh <laughs> don't say it <laughs> yikes i didn't know goodness that's like trying to get pet milk raw milk can't call it raw milk <laughs> yeah it's not for human consumption but you can buy it here if you go to south carolina which is like i guess a half hour from me less than a half hour from me you can buy it for human consumption. My neighbor may or may not have, hypothetically, <laughs> purchased me some some raw milk. 
from South Carolina. Not for your consumption. <laughs> for legal reasons. <laughs> Copper is super healthy. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, he mm-hmm, loved it. That's great. It's great. I've still not tried it. You can buy it at like two or three local stores. Actually, definitely three I can think of. There are local within five, ten minutes of me that you can buy it at. But I just, they're open weird hours. So we haven't gone yet. I want to try it. I have not found it near me. I haven't looked very hard, but I don't know if that's just the difference of being closer to a city and people are more wary of it. I just live kind of in a different area or or if I just don't know where to look. I don't know. I kind of feel like Asheville would be like the area to embrace that, to be fair. <laughs> but I am also in our Azure standard. We have like a group chat, like a text WhatsApp group chat or whatever it's called. And so people will they'll have it in there for pet consumption and stuff that they'll trade at drops and whatnot as well. So we have a lot of options for it. I just <sighs> haven't gotten around to it yet. I want to try it, but I feel like I need, if I'm going to buy it cause it's expensive, I need to have a reason to use it and I can't just drink straight milk. I've never been able Cheese to. Cheese is a great thing. Great I know. Thing to do with raw milk. But then I have to commit to making cheese, and it's just not been the time to do that. <laughs> Fair. We'll get there. Yeah, I was I was eager to, now that it's winter and I have some time for projects, and I have sheep that I would ultimately like to milk and have all of these dairy products from, I was like, I should really start practicing my cheese making. And so I went to the milk aisle in the grocery store, and I was looking for something that was not ultra pasteurized and or not homogenized because you really can't make cheese out of those i think i think there are some weird workarounds but they get really complicated and i didn't want to mess with it especially because i'm a newbie Mm -hmm. and i got so disappointed that i could not find just plain pasteurized like i fine i can get the pasteurized as long as it's not ultra pasteurized or homogenized i couldn't find anything that i would reasonably reasonably be able to make cheese out of and that i don't know i'm not i'm not like conspiracy theorist level with it but i was really disappointed how okay so have you ever made any cheese besides have you made like mozzarella even i haven't okay i have made mozzarella i've made ricotta and i've made like a few other random cheeses like that that are not hard cheeses and i've used just not organic plain store-bought Meyer. It was Meyer brand, but it's basically Walmart brand milk and heavy cream and it works just fine. I don't know. That was only like a year or two ago. So, I mean, it might be worth a shot still if you can okay. find... I don't know where you go grocery shopping, I guess. So maybe... I go to Publix. Yeah, Publix that's... is my grocery store. So yeah, like, I don't know. Maybe look on, look on Walmart, like on the website and see if you can see if they have plain old not pasteurized milk because they do have organic I have too I have a vendetta against Walmart I refuse <laughs> to shop there if I can get it anywhere else other than I, Amazon I used to be the same way but that's literally what we have here that's not Ingles and Ingles is kind of expensive so we only go there for specific reasons and that is they sell the cat food that we have to get for one of our cats and beer that's the only place that has good beer options. <laughs> like craft beer. 
Yeah, if if I were in a town that Walmart was where I could go to get the stuff that I needed, I I would. And I do make the occasional trip there, but I get so upset every single time I have to walk in that store. And it, it's just for personal reasons. I vote with my dollar and for for my own my own agenda, I guess. Maybe that's a strong word. Stop there when we lived in Michigan, but that's the option we have here. So <laughs> I don't know. I can't think of any other stores that you could probably try and get it at, but I know that they have plain old milk if you really wanted to try doing some okay. cheese. You have organic too, so um I don't yeah, think maybe I'll, it's ultra pasteurized at all. Maybe I'll try it because mozzarella is half the time the mm-hmm. cheese that I'm eating anyway. Mozzarella, ricotta, and parmesan are pretty much the only cheeses that I eat. I'm not like a cheddar person. Um Parmesan's so, <laughs> Yeah, Parmesan's a whole other level, but ricotta and mozzarella. I might I might try those and just see what happens. Um did you when you made it with grocery store milk, did you make it with lemon juice or vinegar or uh rennet or what did you use to curdle it? Um so I have made mozzarella. I, I can't remember what the other name of the cheese that I, I've made. I've made another kind too. I just can't remember what. It's a soft cheese. I've used rennet to make that before and I've used lemon juice to make ricotta. So I've done both. Both They're both grocery store milk. Yeah, ricotta is the easiest one. That's just lemon juice or vinegar you can use. And that takes, like, no time at all. I really like making that because it's so easy. And I've used the cheapest milk you can get at the grocery store for that. And it works every time. And then I've used... my One of my friends got me, like, a little cheese-making kit for Christmas a few years back. And I, I've used that. It came with rennet tablets. I think I might have tried it ricotta with vinegar before too, and that worked, if I'm not mistaken. Well, maybe maybe I'll revisit the milk aisle and see see what I can do. But yeah, I mean, obviously we've gone on this whole tangent about milk, but that's something that you can get at the grocery store. <laughs> and even though it might not be from a local farmer, it is something that is accessible in the winter that you can keep cows in milk through winter if you schedule them correctly. Um, and it's a it's a value add. You can save money doing that, if you, especially if you get really good at it. And it's available in winter. <laughs> I don't know if you already mentioned this, but the sheep, do they produce, like, uh, how long are there, like, cycles of production? Or, like, how long can you make them, I guess? I don't know anything about sheep. Sheep are different than goats and cows. So goats and cows, it, you can schedule them so that they stay in milk. And maybe maybe you have one in milk during the summer. And then when you dry that one off, maybe you have another, a different one in milk for fall, winter, until you know the other one comes back in milk. Um, that's what you can do for, for cows and goats. Sheep, you cannot. They are straight up seasonal milkers. Maybe someone somewhere has figured out a way to get sheep to milk through the winter, but it's just not something that you typically do. And so what most people do who raise sheep for dairy is you lamb as early as you can in the spring so that you maximize your season. And then they will naturally taper off their milk production in early winter. Now, I've never personally done that, so I don't necessarily know (laughs) <laughs> when my sheep would naturally taper off, right? But yeah. the thing with sheep milk is that it 
freezes better than especially cow milk. I don't know how goat milk freezes, but just because of how the chemistry of the milk itself works out, it's it's naturally homogenized. And so you can, so take, like- you know, you, you can freeze cow milk and thaw it and drink it. It's not going to do anything to you. Um, it just it just doesn't stay like the milk that you think of. Whereas sheep's milk is works really well with that process. So that's that's my intention is, okay, I'm going to capitalize on it when it's in season and then I'm going to freeze it to have it in winter or I'm going to turn it into other products like cheese, which was literally invented to store dairy, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think for us, so goat's milk is also naturally homogenized and I know it freezes really well. So I think for goats, they they can be similar to cows. I really, I haven't done a ton of research into it, but I know that if you do like kidding in the spring, their production will build until the kid hits a certain size. And then obviously it starts to go back down, but you can continuously like keep up with their milk supply if you milk them twice a day or whatever. And then I think they just need like two months-ish, two or three months between drying off and kidding. So there would be like a dry period of a few months in the winter where you would probably freeze the milk. But I don't, I'm very curious to get into more of that research because I don't know, goat's milk is a popular thing, but I feel like the details of it aren't very popular. Like, I want to know more about making, like, can you make butter with goat's milk? I don't know. (laughs) Because it's homogenized, you know? Like, I think you'd have to get a separator to do it. I just, I don't know anything about it yet, so. I think so, too, because I don't know what the crucial milk fat point is to make butter, but I know that it has to be heavier than whatever half and half is. And I think... I don't know much about goat's milk because I was like, I definitely don't want goats for dairy. The The taste of the milk is just a little funky and sheep's milk doesn't have that goat milk funk to it. It's basically just cow's milk with less water in it. So it's like, yes, that's what I want. Um, but I think sheep's milk is kind of the equivalent of like what half and half would be. So I think you're right. I think you would have to get to the point where you, you have a piece of equipment to separate off yeah. to get to that like concentrated like, enough version to make butter with the amounts you get from them like is that even worth it i'm i'm so curious to get more into that at some point because i just really don't know i know you get i think you can get like a quart to two quarts maybe a day depending on the breed of goat i don't know about sheep so with a cow that's obviously significantly more that you can get i don't know i'm i'm so interested to get into that at some point with cow's milk it is a larger volume um, I mean, think about how much a cow would have to make to keep a calf alive because mm-hmm. babies are huge, right? <laughs> um, and so it, it's going to be somewhat proportionate to that. I think I think sheep give a little bit more than goats, and it depends on breed and, you know, yeah. several other things. But sheep's milk, even though it's a smaller volume, it's more concentrated in the fat and the protein and the vitamins and everything else. So it, it really kind of is just like cow's milk, but with with a little bit of water taken out. It's just more concentrated. I think overall it's still less when you account for that. Yeah. Okay. So goat's milk is naturally A2A2. Is sheep's? Do you know? That's like I have not looked that up. (laughs) I don't know. That's another reason that we want to do goats, or at least I want to do goats, 
because other than a cow, I'm not saying sheep. I haven't looked at sheep at all, but the goat's milk, I am very lactose intolerant. Like I've dealt with it my entire life. I used to literally like vomit at daycare because they'd force me to drink milk. And I, so like, I haven't been able to most of my life and like probably the last handful of years, I've kind of gotten myself more used to normal dairy, but I know that like, if I ever have kids, they're probably going to have issues like that. And as a baby, my brother had really, really, really severe issues with it. So I just, I think it would be smart to have goat's milk around in general for that purpose. But yeah, I'm, I don't know. Do you, do you know about sheep? <laughs> I feel like I want to Google it right now. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Cause I'm curious now. Um, I don't know. That's not really a consideration that I factored in when I was looking at sheep. I have a lot of um, Irish and a lot of French blood, so I don't really have an issue with processing dairy. That's <laughs> just something that um, my ancestors probably wouldn't have survived if they couldn't eat that. Um, so I have no issue with it. I know that people tend to get more and more sensitive to that as they age, and and there is definitely a hereditary component to it so maybe you know in 20 years I would have a different ability to process milk than I do now and I know that if you have a period where you stop eating dairy then it's even more likely that if you try to reintroduce it that your body won't won't have the the proper enzymes to break it down um and I do know of a2 a2 milk as a concept I've certainly heard of that with cows but I haven't I haven't looked it up for sheep or any other dairy animals I don't know I just looked it up and all sheep and goat milk is A2A2. So that's cool. <laughs> that's cool because that means that I could share it and maybe with people who would be sensitive to it. Like I, I know my dad is sensitive to it these days, but I would be curious to see if he would be able to digest that better or at all. Yeah. It's just like an experiment. <laughs> I'm going to experiment on myself too. After I, uh, I did a whole 30 back in September, early October, and I didn't have, so I didn't have any dairy. After that, it was a struggle to have any dairy for a while. Like I've, I've slowly tried to get myself to be able to tolerate it again after going cold turkey on it because I had built up that tolerance for it over a few years and then stopped eating it completely. And <laughs> my tummy was not happy. <laughs> it was not oh, that happy. sucked. <laughs> We've talked a lot about milk and that is something like milk, cheese, yogurt, all of those goodies are totally something that you can have in the winter, but there's also plenty else. <laughs> so let's make sure we touch on those too. The most accessible is obviously going to be what you can get from the grocery store. And the grocery store obviously stocks things that are not in season two. Like we have produce from Peru and all over the world because we're used to having access to strawberries and tomatoes and these things year-round. But if you are looking to go to a farmer's market and want to know what would be available or you want to find produce that is more likely to be local from the grocery store without having to do all those extra steps um, if there's a financial barrier there or if some communities just don't have access to it, it's just not there. So if you're, if you're looking at the shelves... Let's talk about what might actually be in season, what might actually be more local to you. What comes to mind for me is, you know, 
refers back to the list of the things that we naturally crave. It's those root veggies, the things like carrots and potatoes and beets. It's also those hearty leafy greens like kale. I know, I know that where I am, I somehow have still managed to keep lettuce alive. So even some of the more sensitive, um, less frost tolerant vegetables like spinach, which you talked about a little bit, uh, mixed greens, what have you, would still be considered in season depending on where you are. Yeah, I mean, we even have that tiny little broccoli you saw last week and you were here. It's gone now because the ducks ate it, but that was growing fine. And I only had insect netting over it. I didn't have any sort of frost fabric or what have you on it. And that was doing okay where we are. So I assume that cauliflower, cabbage, we have cabbage in there. That's okay. Um, Brussels sprouts didn't do great as far as actually growing, but they're still alive out there. We have celery. Um, I feel like there's a lot of stuff you can grow that if you looked at the grocery store right now, would be like nice and fresh. Something we, we kind of have this little list going, but something that's not on there that I was thinking about is citrus and pineapple are in season right now. And they're not like local to us, but that's something where if you want to get something to can or preserve it in your freezer or whatever, that's this is the time of year where that's in season elsewhere and it's on sale here. So you can get really right. cheap apple and can that yourself or freeze it or whatever. I love to freeze pineapple in the winter because then I can have smoothies all winter and I feel tropical. <laughs> that was a big thing in Michigan was I needed to feel like I needed fruit because the winters there were horrible to deal with. And then cranberries is another thing that is a fruit and usually you can only find it in the store in November, December, and January, at least where I am. So what's what's seasonal? <laughs> seasonal is going to depend a little bit on where you live. Uh, do you know that citrus, is that something that's harvested in Florida? Or do you think that's something that's being harvested in other countries straight up? Honestly, I really don't know. All I know is that it's always on sale. And like December is like citrus season. It's mm -hmm. referred to okay. as that. I don't know why. <laughs> and pomegranates too. That's another one. Just speaking on being able to take advantage of what's on sale at the grocery store and what they kind of push at you during the winter season. Citrus, like grapefruits, oranges. Um, I don't know about lemons and limes, but definitely oranges and grapefruits, pomegranates and cranberries are very, very popular in pineapple in December, January. I did see, so one of my neighbors for the community that I'm in, she tries to uh, publicize a citrus order basically at Christmas time because I'm, I'm assuming she gets that from Azure Standard and there's a minimum order. And so she sort of collects all the orders from the community and they, they typically hit that minimum box order but that i hadn't thought about that but that's probably why it's because it's citrus season and and all that's coming in i just looked at that too and it is it's at california and florida both their citrus season is like october or november through march to may so it's winter okay very interesting <laughs> and that's probably the most local that you're going to be able to get citrus yeah. <laughs> that's where we are Unless that's the, we're growing that's it the in our own <laughs> yeah 
All right. So you kind of mentioned like root veggies and stuff a little while ago, but I did want to say that is something where if you're growing a lot of it, carrots and potatoes and whatnot, you're going to be storing that in your house. But we went through all the potatoes we grew this year so quickly. They didn't last into winter. I think I I just preserved the last little bit of them as gnocchi in the freezer a couple months ago. And so they're gone. Next year, we want to grow more. But something that I like to do is either order through Azure or just go to our salvage store or Aldi or whatever and get really big bags of potatoes and carrots and whatnot on sale if I can. And I'll still just store them in our house because it's good practice. And then I just have it on hand and I don't have to think about it as often. So it's kind of dual purpose for me. We have these mesh, like wire mesh crate things that we store all of our onions and potatoes in. And I'm trying out different locations in our house to put those to see where they do best before they start sprouting. So like the basement, there are some down there. I have some in my kitchen and I'm just kind of like roughly keeping tabs on how long they last. And I think that's just an interesting thing to do if you're not growing all of your own produce yet. You can practice with things like that. I just wanted to put that little tidbit in there. I think that could be useful for other people too. I did just order beets yeah. from Azure as well, so I can freeze a bunch of those. Definitely. When when you're looking at okay, what can I what can I eat in winter that I'm not having to buy out of season so it's super expensive. I'm spending more money to do it. You can you can buy things that store well when they are in season and buy enough that it lasts you into winter. So things like buying rice in bulk, buying flour, buying oil, all of these things you can capitalize on when they are less expensive and have it in your pantry. Now, that does mean that you'll have to have the room to yeah. store that. I know that I quickly run out of space. It's just me in my house and I somehow max out all the storage. But <laughs> if you do have the room for it, and I know that you tend to order things like flour in bulk and store it in five-gallon food-grade buckets in your pantry. Yeah, we have – I mean, they're not very aesthetically pleasing at all, but we just get a lot of the times tractor supply buckets. We'll get those with their cheap standard lids. You can get gamma seal lids for them. I just leave them in our kitchen. Those are the cheapest buckets I can find. And I think I have two or three with flour in them. So I have two that are kind of backup storage and they fit 25 pounds of flour each. Same with sugar, they'll fit 25 pounds. I think I have one extra of sugar and I don't try and have a giant stock of anything. I just can't mentally think that far in the future because there's so much happening right now. Um, so I just like to have a little bit extra on hand so that I don't have to worry about running out of it where I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to run to the store and they close at 11. They used to close never. <laughs> and now it's midnight and I don't, I don't have a way to make bread and I need to make bread at midnight. That happens more than you'd think. <laughs> I'm curious what, if you grew anything this year out of your garden that you were able to store, because like I said, we went through our potatoes really fast. We didn't grow carrots because our ground's too hard, etc. <laughs> In terms of what's shelf stable that I didn't have to process additionally, which we'll touch on later, 
I was able to pull a bunch of pumpkins, you know, winter squash in general. And I was actually looking at those the other day and I was like, I need to start eating those because it's food. And I mean, I know a handful of ways to eat, you know, butternut squash and pumpkins. I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't I don't know how to get super creative with it. I mean, I, I don't want to eat the same recipe week after week. But I got a whole bunch of butternut squash. I think I harvested like 40, 50 pounds of butternut squash. Goodness. I got a couple different kinds of pumpkins um some trombuccinos that i let um get all the way mature so you can do those as summer squash or as winter squash just depending on when you harvest it so that's something that i you know i didn't have to can it i didn't have to freeze it i didn't have to dehydrate it i didn't have to do anything else to it and also i was able to harvest some herbs it's a really really underrated way to save money because especially when you look at the fresh herbs in the grocery store, they're like $5 for like this much food. And, uh, and I, package. Oh, I hate them. I know. Yeah. And so I pulled a lot of lemon balm. I pulled a lot of oregano. I wasn't fully able to, to pull much rosemary, but I do still have some rosemary in the garden. I pulled a ton of basil and I made an infused oil with that, which is shelf-stable which I use all the time. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I, th I believe that's more or less it for the, for the shelf-stable stuff. We harvested a bunch of basil as well, but it's more... My Italian, like Genovese basil, didn't do very well because it got crowded out by Tulsi. <laughs> so I harvested a bunch of Tulsi and a bunch of mint so I can use them for tea. Um, and then thyme and rosemary, I would say, are the other ones. Oregano, too. We have a our, our oregano is still going strong out there. So I've been harvesting that still as just whenever I need it. Yeah, I didn't realize that oregano was that hardy. And so I was like, oh, I, I need to make sure to harvest this. And I cut it back and it's probably the healthiest thing in the garden right now. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't no. need to worry about you. <laughs> just thriving. And then some other things that you can stick on the shelf that are going to last forever are nuts if you're able to buy those in bulk when they're in season or honey uh can you think of anything else Michaela honey is definitely something that will last forever it literally self-preserves nuts actually don't last super long um they do last for like a time period I think it depends on probably if they're broken up or if they're in their shell roasted etc they do go rancid so you can throw nuts in the freezer. Uh, we have a lot of pecans on our property, pecan trees, and some of them are producing. A lot of them are younger. But in the future, we'll probably be getting a lot of really big pecan harvests, which I'm not sad about. We'll probably be giving pecans to everyone as presents. <laughs> so I'm so down. That's my favorite <laughs> nut. You can, I will barter whatever you want for some quality pecans. You're just going to get like... A bushel of pecans as your Christmas present in the future. <laughs> I'm so down. I'm so down. They do have like a pretty decent shelf life, but I think it's only like six months that if they're broken out of their shell that they would last because they do go rancid. Um, well, then but I definitely need to clean out my pantry because <laughs> I have I, I have some things in there that are definitely older than six months. I do too. At least I did when we moved here. I've used some rancid like walnuts before in like apple crisp and stuff. And you can't tell that much, but they do kind of get a little bit bitter. So 
I think it probably just depends on the amount of time. But especially if if those harvests are in mid to late fall, that's something that you can definitely keep through oh, yeah. winter with with minimal, you know, additional effort. It's a good winter winter snack. So Taylor's in the basement, like I mentioned earlier, uh, making me canning shells. So if anybody can hear hammering and or sawing, that's what that is. And I apologize, but you're it's just going to be in here because I'm not we're not re-recording this. That's homestead life. <laughs> Deal with it. Sorry. The next level or the next tier, in my opinion, is the foods that are not necessarily automatically shelf stable, but that you can can with a water bath canner or a pressure canner and do what you need to do to make them safe so that you can still store them for a, generally you want to store them for a year or no more and eat on those through the winter, even if they're things that are very, um, you know, summer associated foods like tomatoes. I put up like 50 cans of tomatoes this year, which I didn't think I was going to hit that. I basically got to the point where I ran out of space for what I was preserving. And I was like, oh my gosh, I actually need to go buy a shelf because I have nowhere to put this food. So for one, that felt awesome. That felt like a victory. Um, But I also eat a ton of canned tomatoes. It's just, it's such a good warm comfort food in the winter you can throw it in pot roast i love to make tomato sauce out of them that is definitely a winter food with like some some handmade thick cut pasta you cannot go wrong that meal is never bad (laughs) do you uh okay questions one when you say cans do you mean quarts or pints just out of curiosity pints i wish that i was that intense with 50 quarts of of tomatoes but no pints pints for now (laughs) okay and then two do you can tomatoes in any other form than just like tomatoes do you do like salsa salsa ketchup okay okay i lied i do (laughs) so i ended up with a lot of heirloom tomatoes this year so with those what i tended to do was throw them in a pot and just reduce them down and just make tomato paste out of them and then once i did that i was like okay i still have more what do i do with them so i did that again and made a batch of ketchup that was great and then i still had more and i was like okay so i made (laughs) i made salsa i didn't make a ton of salsa it was just one batch um i don't eat that much salsa it great i like the recipe i'll probably make more next year so there were a handful of things that i did but i mean for 75 percent of what i was harvesting i was i was throwing them in cans just a straight up canned tomatoes i don't tend to make things like pasta sauce ahead of time because i want to keep i want to keep that food as versatile as possible because sometimes i'll make butter chicken with it sometimes i'll make a pasta sauce sometimes i'll put it in soup it just depends on what what i'm going to make out of it and i want to keep it as versatile as possible yeah okay that's that's good to know i so we did about the same amount i would say of tomatoes because we so i made tomato sauce but i did chunky tomato sauce and smooth tomato sauce And I did, I think, seven or eight quarts of smooth tomato sauce and the rest, which 
I think overall I had 22 quarts. So that would be about the same as your 50 uh, pints. And we just, that's like, I, I was concerned that I would need more than that for our meals, but one quart has been perfect for the amount that we eat for three nights usually when I make dinner. And I didn't flavor them, season them at all. I just did plain tomato sauce, chunky and not, because again, the versatility. I just want them to be versatile, but that's, I use them as sauce usually, regardless of what I'm making. And then I did some diced tomatoes. I don't have the amounts. If you want to know the amounts, I have a full YouTube video. <laughs> Anybody who's watching about every single thing I can this year. Um, we did salsa, pizza sauce, and probably more things that I'm forgetting. <laughs> We can throw a link to that YouTube video down in the description if anybody wants to go check that out. Because I found that video, I watched it, I found that video really interesting and really educational. Yeah, I think we canned, it was like $1,600 worth of food if we would have bought it at the store. So it was That's a, lot. a huge deal. <laughs> yeah. That's a huge deal. Mm -hmm. That's like uh, four months worth of grocery budgets for us. So mm -hmm. it's a lot. Yeah, and that's, that's a way to capitalize on because in the summer you have more food than you could possibly eat fresh and then in the winter you're not bringing enough in to i mean typically most of us aren't <laughs> to, to sustain yourself on just what's what's the fresh fresh harvest so that's a way to like equal it out and even if you're not growing it yourself i mean you were buying stuff at the discount store capitalizing on when it was in season and when it was cheap and then canning it to eat later when if you were buying that stuff at the grocery store it would be exponentially more expensive so i'm still i'm, I'm still learning to eat seasonally and it's definitely going to be a process it's part of my texture and learning how to eat better journey <laughs> overall but I still struggle with things like eating corn I'm so used to eating like corn on the cob in the summer using corn in the winter is weird to me still even though we use it in like black bean corn salsa or nachos things like that like I'll use it in things but it's weird for me to reach for them in the winter and then I've made a lot of syrups with the fruits that we've canned. So pulling for those things, grabbing for them in the winter where I'm like, I wanna put this in lemonade, that's why I made it. But I usually only drink lemonade in the spring and the summer. So I'm trying to like retrain my brain to use those things at a different time of year. And that's kind of weird to me because they're ingredients that you use in the summer, but they're stored. So it's just like, a, it's a mental thing. I don't know, do you have that issue or is it just me? <laughs> I don't have that issue, but I do have the issue of I feel like the food that I grew and preserved is so precious that almost in the back of my mind, I like don't want to eat it, which is so ridiculous because that is what I went through all of this painstaking effort for. But yeah. I'm like, oh, no, I like I don't want to use that. I'd rather, you know, <laughs> pull a meal out of the fridge that is quote unquote, less valuable uh, that I got at the grocery store. I'll, th I'll throw together a stir fry with these veggies that I have instead of making a meal out of the food that I grew for myself. Um, so I need I need to break that because that's, I don't know, I would call that like almost hoarding. But again, yeah. if you know, you have to you really have to eat it within that year. Otherwise, it starts to go bad or or at least the, the flavor of it starts to go bad, even yeah. if it's still safe to eat as it it sits in the jars longer, the nutrients decrease. Yeah, I have the same issue. I also have the issue where I'm like, okay, but it looks really pretty <laughs> over on that shelf. Like, I don't want it to be gone. 
I can't tell you how much of my home decor is food. <laughs> food that I've grown. <laughs> all your all your squash and all your pumpkins and your jars. Yeah, you know, in that little array on the floor on the carpet, aren't they cute? It's like the OG farmhouse decor. Because <laughs> we should talk about eggs. This is something that I literally just ordered the stuff to do. I just got gallon jars and the, is it lime? I think it's lime or something. It's pickling lime. Yeah. Pickling lime for water glassing eggs because we have approximately 80 something eggs in our fridge right now (laughs) that I would like to not keep adding to. (laughs) So we are going to water glass eggs. I got gallon jars. I forgot to order lids. So I have to wait until next week to get those because they're in my Azure order for this month. And we're going to water glass eggs. I'm excited because they're going to be good for baking and they're going to be good for scrambled eggs. And that's the two things we use them most for. That's awesome. I have never water glassed eggs on the occasion that I have had more. I'm bringing in more than I can eat myself or sell to my neighbors. I just stuck them in the fridge. So I know that there's some debate on how long they last without any additional steps of preserving. So the ones that I wasn't washing because they were they were clean, they had the bloom intact, you can mm-hmm. make them store longer in the fridge by turning them pointy side down, which is the opposite of how they're typically packaged. Yep. And sticking those in the fridge, keeping them in the fridge at that lower temperature. I personally found that I could stretch it like three months. And those were still good without any other level of anything else. Now, my tactic with keeping eggs around is I have a ton of chickens and I sell the extra eggs to my neighbors to cover feed costs and I keep younger chickens around all the time. So my current plan is to always have a new order of layers each year so that I don't need to preserve them. But I mean, if you have a backyard flock, something like water glassing eggs is probably going to be way more accessible for you. Yeah. And I think, so the reason we're doing it right now is because, or we're going to do it is because I want to just learn how to do it. I want to see how it goes. I want to see if we like it. Um, So I know for the future. And then if we don't, for some reason, have chickens laying over next winter, if we don't get more chicks or anything, then we'll have a way to preserve them. But we also don't have our little market stand thing set up that we want to do at some point. We we don't really have the capacity to get that set up right now. And I don't really want to post it on Marketplace and be like, hey, come to my house and get eggs because yeah, I'm here alone a lot. And that just kind of freaks me out to put it on Marketplace. So once we get that set up, I will. I do plan to sell eggs because we want to try and replace that feed cost. But for now... It just seems like the smart thing to do to not add another project to my list. Right. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> Balance. Yeah. <laughs> Putting the eggs in the jar is a lot easier than setting up a farm stand. <laughs> so. Do you know off the top of your head how long water glassing eggs will typically make them last? I could be completely wrong, but I think it's like six months to a year. I've definitely seen people on social media. I don't know if this is recommended, but I've definitely seen them pull out water glassed eggs that are a year old. Yeah, me too. They look like normal eggs when they crack them. 
Yeah, I'm I'm specifically thinking of like Three Rivers Homestead. She is like the one I think kind of made it more popular. And I know that they use them for like a year. So I think the only thing that changes with them really is the yolk doesn't hold its like shape. So it'll pop when you crack them. But if you're making scrambled eggs or some baked good, that doesn't really matter. So like if you're trying to make a fried egg or a sunny side up egg, it's probably not going to be the best for that situation. Otherwise, I think it's probably fine. Or a recipe where you need to separate the yolks out from the whites. Yeah, yeah. That would probably not work very well either. Yeah. If if I do end up with a surplus of eggs that I need to use up like right now because no one came to buy eggs over the holiday weekend and that's typical. I notice that when it's a holiday, nobody comes to buy eggs. And then the following week, everybody comes to buy eggs like all at once. Um, but I have a stockpile right now and my favorite way is just make a bunch of pasta and stick it in the freezer. I'm doing that this week. That's my my task of the week. So we, I probably won't water glass all of the ones that we have because I, I want to make a bunch of pasta. We talked about this in the last thing, but speaking of the butternut squash that you don't know what to do with, I am making a butternut squash and sage <laughs> ravioli. I'm making a spinach ricotta ravioli and then a mushroom ricotta one or a mushroom something. I don't know. I'm making like four different kinds this week and I'm pretty excited about that. We're going to be making a lot of pasta over the next few days. Can I come over for dinner? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Come get your tripod. (laughs) The other things that I keep leaving at your house. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) It's all just so you can come eat pasta. (laughs) I mean, maybe. There are also several other things that I like to freeze. Now, I, even though I have a chest freezer and then my normal fridge freezer that's in my kitchen, I still find that I'm challenged on freezer space. So that's not something that I go to first, but there are some things like pesto that I'm I'm not going to can pesto or dehydrate it or do anything crazy like that. Like that's going to get frozen. And another one of my favorite things to do is to blanch extra fresh veggies from the garden. So I filled up like two gallon bags with blanched green beans this year. And I was so excited about that because that's one thing that I refused to buy from the grocery store. Um, So it was another victory (laughs) from the the 2023 um, growing season. And then obviously I have my freezer of chickens that I've harvested over the last couple of years and any, um, like I, I forage for, they're called wine berries. They're basically a raspberry. I stick those in the freezer if I don't make those into jam. Um, do you have anything other, other than like meals that you're making to eat later that you just go ahead and throw in the freezer to preserve? Yeah. So we have the salvage store chickens that I get, they're $2, two or two or $3. I have, I always try to keep at least two or three of those in the freezer downstairs because we only have one freezer and it is very unorganized, disorganized and not much space in there right now. Um, I always try to keep ice cream <laughs> stocked up in there also from the salvage store. And uh, we have edamame, I, I got a vacuum sealer this year, like a really cheap one for Prime Day this July. It was like $20 and it's been a game changer. 
we have jalapeno poppers from the garden in there, edamame. I have a bunch of snap peas that are blanched and already cut up. I have peas, like garden peas, but we, we get those from the salvage store too. Uh, I didn't save any from our garden, just like shelled because we just buy them for a dollar and the birds love them. So we give them to the, them as snacks and Taylor also really likes them. <laughs> and then I feel like there's more. Oh, we have dewberries. So those are also basically a blackberry. They're just an invasive, a very invasive blackberry that we foraged from our property. We have lots of those. And pesto. I think that's... And garlic scapes. We have uh, like the hard parts of the garlic scapes that you don't really eat that are kind of like stringy and stuff. I save those mm -hmm. and I toss them in broth when I make them. So I just have like a gallon bag full of those. That's a great way to use those. Yeah, <laughs> it works really well. And then you're not wasting it. I think that's exactly. pretty much our stock of freezer stuff. It's There might be more in there, but it's absolute chaos. So I don't know. Okay, here's here's a question for you since you know canning a little bit better than I do. I made tomato paste this year and I was like, I can probably can this, but does the process of cooking it down change the acidity at all to to make it invalid as a candidate for water bath canning? Because I just stuck it in the freezer because I was like, I'm not sure. I know I can freeze it here. I, I'm not 100% sure because I've not canned tomato paste, but I'm pretty sure that you're able to. I, I think okay. that it's in like the ball canning book. If anything, it seems like it would make it more concentrated, wouldn't it? I mean, probably. I was also very tired. It was probably like 1230 and I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> Just, but it's somewhere. That's usually how my food processing goes. <laughs> I have one of those massive jars that or cans that's like this big. I don't know what the actual ounces is, but it's like as big as my face, bigger than my face. A lot tomato paste from our salvage store that I was going to practice taking that out and canning it in smaller jars just so we have it. And it was literally like $2 to buy that massive one. So, and it's organic. <laughs> I wanted to practice. I figure why not try it, hone my, hone my recipes, and then I won't mess it up with my homegrown stuff. Right. I can't think of anything else that I put in the freezer, but I know that something else you can do is ferment. So I think we both made apple cider vinegar with the scraps from the apple cider that we made. Mine didn't turn into cider, but yours did. <laughs> I have 22 gallons of apple cider vinegar downstairs from that, of all the scraps. And our birds got to eat the fermented scraps. So they liked that a lot. How long do you think it's going to take you to go through 22 gallons of apple cider vinegar? I really don't think it's going to take me that long because we once we get our IBC tote, so we're going to set up the watering system for the birds connected to an IBC tote, and we're going to we put apple cider vinegar in their water. So I don't think it'll take very long. I also probably will start putting it in their feed to soak it as well. <laughs> they love it. And that's... That's something that I've seen a lot of people start making. At least it became popularized because Braggs sold the ownership of their company. And so people are, are nervous about maintaining the quality of that product, which 
you, you don't know when it gets bought out. Yeah. And so apple cider vinegar is actually a, a really easy thing to make. You don't have to buy extra stuff. You just literally save your apple scraps. Fill a container three quarters of the way with your apple scraps. Fill the rest with filtered water. Make sure your, your container was sanitized to begin with and put a breathable cloth over it. Fit it with a rubber band mm-hmm. and you can make apple cider vinegar. It's It's not difficult. Yeah, and that's the reason we did it because like... We had all the apple scraps from making hard cider anyway, or apple cider anyway, and they were just going to get tossed to the birds. So I was like, who cares if we end up with five five gallon buckets full of this? Like, it's free. It's literally free. We already got what we wanted out of the, the apples. So, and then the apple scraps can still go to the birds, even though they're fermented. So they, I mean, they loved them. We have tons of apple cider that can be beneficial to them in their water and their feed in the future. And like, I can use it for making whatever I need to make. I use it a lot because I don't like to buy buttermilk from the store. If I'm making specific recipes that call for it, I'll just, I usually just keep heavy cream in the fridge. And so I'll just pour heavy cream in my cup and then like a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar to make buttermilk real quick. Like I don't, like to keep a lot of things on hand so i know the organic apple cider vinegar that i buy at the store i don't even think it's it's definitely not even a gallon is ten dollars so a five gallon bucket of apple cider vinegar would replace for me more than fifty dollars worth of what i would buy at the grocery store from scraps that are gonna get thrown away anyway that's a big deal for me I don't, I put this in a video as well, and I don't remember the actual total, but it was hundreds of dollars worth of apple cider vinegar. So, I bet. For, and like, I don't know if you can use it for the same purpose as, as white vinegar. We use white vinegar as our laundry softener. And I, this isn't something I've looked into, it's just something I literally thought of right now. We could use that. It's like just a splash of it. I wonder if we could use the apple cider vinegar instead, and then we not have to buy. We wouldn't have to buy white vinegar for that purpose. I mean, I would imagine you could because it's got to be the acid content that is doing what you want it to do. It's just that white distilled vinegar is typically cheaper than apple cider vinegar, but but they're sold in the same 5% acidity yeah. generally. I don't know. So I bet you could. I'm curious. I'll have to look it up. And then you can ferment lots of other things. I mean, we touched on it a little bit Um we both made batches of apple cider vinegar. Mine turned out more like kombucha, but that still counts. It's still ferment. <laughs> it's still delicious. <laughs> um, yeah. I make batches of wine. Now, that's not out of grapes that I grow. I'm not that cool. But <laughs> I have two batches of six gallons of wine each that I very much need to process. Um, <laughs> good reminder to me. And that'll give me 30, 750 milliliters, typical wine bottle, of of wine each so that's 60 60 bottles of wine which comes out at like two three dollars a bottle for most of them which is way different than the price point at the store and then you have to be patient you have to age it but it is good it yeah i enjoy doing it yeah we made uh hard cider. well we made apple cider like plain apple cider not fermented we canned a bunch of that we drank a bunch of that we used it for a lot of things and then we also made eight gallons worth of hard cider and one of those gallons did also turn to kombucha so we didn't it's it's vinegar we we didn't end up um 
getting to drink that one. It's mostly because we left it like a few days too long and it started to ferment. That's our, that's our fault. <laughs> if we had gotten to it when we should have, it wouldn't have done that. But so yeah, we got, I think 66 or so 12 ounce bottles of hard cider out of that. And even that covers the cost of the apples that we we bought because we bought them by the bushel and they were uh, like cull apples and they were ten dollars a bushel I think it was yep and, and overall we we got ninety ninety dollars worth so nine bushels and we ate some of those fresh some of them we turned into plain cider and some of them were apple cider hard apple cider. The batch that turned into kombucha for you, is that because it went through an additional round of fermentation or is that because it got oxidized or what? Um, so that one had ginger, fresh ginger in it. And we did two that had fresh ginger. That one just sat a few days longer. And I think that it was like the tipping point of it turning fermented. So it was the second ferment. All of them went through a second ferment because they were all okay. flavored. But... I think the fresh ginger in that one made it turn. That's my gotcha. best guess. <laughs> so it was like a second ferment for kombucha because it was it was like fizzy and it it did have an airlock on it and we did everything right. It was just like slightly too long. So I don't mm -hmm. know. That was my only for, guess is ginger. For me, because my batch when it when it was all said and done was kind of it didn't taste like a whole lot. So I was like, okay, well, I can both back sweeten it and sort of put more flavor in if I just pour in some more um, mm -hmm. apple cider. And so I <laughs> sat with my friend and calculated how much sugar is in this and converted it. And we spent like half an hour doing math and then felt really dumb when we figured it out. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I put a little bit of like store apple cider in, in each bottle. And then I was... I, I was kind of afraid of it overpressurizing the bottle, so I left a little more headspace. So I yeah. think the combination of, of the additional oxygen exposure from that extra headspace and the extra material that I added it at bottling turned it into kombucha. But I honestly, it's actually a really happy accident because it's really delicious, and I <laughs> will drink that faster than I would drink the hard cider. <laughs> We're flying through hard cider here. I don't know. <laughs> It's so good. They're all so delicious. And I think next year, like if, if we already talked about this, but if you want to, we can try and get a bunch of varieties in those bushels and then we can press all of it together and kind of like separate it out so that it's not just one variety for flavor. Yeah. I think that would help too. Cause ours turned out really good flavor wise. We had a big mixture of varieties mixed in. Yeah, you had different varieties. And I, I got a variety that I knew was not an apple cider variety. And I was like, eh, whatever. I'm still going to make something with it. And no regrets. <laughs> but yeah, we'll have, an, we'll have an apple pressing party for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely on the um, schedule for next year or this year, I guess. Fall. Oh, fall. yeah. Ooh, that's weird. Ooh, <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> Gotta get used to that. Okay. Hot sauce. Have you made hot sauce fermented? I have I have been witness to people trying to make fermented hot sauce. I have not personally tried hot sauce. Um, that hot sauce did not turn into hot sauce. It got forgotten about and thrown out. But 
I okay. know it's possible. I've just never tried or um, seen anybody do it successfully. <laughs> so neither of us really like spicy things, right? Like you're not a spicy kind of girl either. Nope. Some yeah. jalapenos. I'm like, this is too much for me. Most jalapenos. That's what I say. <laughs> but uh, I did make fermented hot sauce this year. And Taylor, I made it for Taylor because he loves spicy stuff. And I actually have like byproducts of it that are really, really good that I'm very happy I made the hot sauce so that I get to taste the, the other stuff. So I made a fermented chili garlic hot sauce and it was literally just like the percentage of salt that you need, water, and the chili peppers. So I used plain old like Thai chilies, chili peppers, whatever, a mixture of them, and then buena mulata. So it was like a little bit purple mixed in. All the chili type peppers in there. And I didn't use like a fermentation lid or anything. I just put the salt and the water in there, screwed the lid on, and then I burped it every day for like two months. And it turned out so delicious. We ended up adding a little bit of onion powder. So I think I might put onions in it next time. Other than that, it's really, really good. We did like a smooth hot sauce and I got like, uh, I guess almost a pint probably. And... I didn't want to do a ton, so that's why, like, we don't yeah. go through a lot of it, but I tasted it, and it's not ridiculously spicy without the seeds in it, so I can actually use a tiny bit of it on, like, tacos and stuff, mm-hmm. but the thing that I liked better that I made out of it was I, I poured a bunch of oil <laughs> in all of the seeds and stuff after I strained them out, and so now we have, like, a chili garlic oil for ramen, and we sprinkle it on edamame. And it's so good. Like that is, it's really hot. (laughs) It's really, really hot. You can get me to try just about anything if there's garlic in it. (laughs) It's really, really yummy. So, and that's, we, we like pho and ramen a lot. That's like one of our favorite foods. So at the restaurant, they always have the little container of chili, like really spicy chili garlic oil. And I wanted to make that for Taylor, but I actually really like it too if you just put a tiny little bit on there because it's really, really hot, but it's yummy. Something that I didn't make this year, but that I would like to eventually start figuring out how to grow the produce to make is kimchi. Ooh. And I have, like, I I bought fermentation weights so that it fits inside the mason jar and you Mm -hmm. can hold everything down so that it it ferments um, and it stays safe to eat. And I bought those with the intent to do that. I just haven't been able to harvest Napa cabbage to be able to to make that. But I think I might be able to carry <laughs> the Napa cabbage that's in my garden right now through long enough to uh, be able to harvest it and it make something out of it. So that'll that's on my list for fermentation experiments. Is that something that you like already? Like kim, you do you like kimchi? Like when you get it at somewhere, like at a restaurant or store or anything? I mean, I don't make a ton, or I don't eat a ton of kimchi anyway. But I do mm-hmm. like it. Korean barbecue is one of my favorite foods. So to be able to have like bulgogi beef with some homemade kimchi would be real good. <laughs> I'm like I'm super picky about fermented stuff, and I'm still trying to make myself like cabbage in a variety of ways i'm like traumatized from uh sauerkraut as a kid so (laughs) i have a hard time with cabbage but i one of the things that i really want to try and make is a 
carrot ginger slaw or not slaw um kraut and it's like a fresh crispy one where it's not like the sloppy jarred kind that you get from the store that's what's traumatized me so I'm gonna do that at some point I haven't gotten to it yet because I'm scared to try it because I'm like I don't know if I'm gonna like it <laughs> but that's on my list I, I would try kimchi. I'm I'm hesitant, but I would try it <laughs> at least once. It's it's kind of an art, and I have never done it before, and so there's definitely going to be a learning curve there. But I'll probably try a couple different recipes, and then see which one of those I like the most, and and go from there. We'll see. How do you feel about sourdough? Are you a sourdough person <laughs> at the moment, at least? Here's my take on sourdough. So. I understand that when you say the word sourdough, that makes people think about one specific kind of bread and it's super crunchy and it's super sour and it's typically, you know, round. But that is the world of sourdough is much more broad than that. And Mm -hmm. I classify anything that begins with a starter, a mother that you that you keep and you feed all the time as sourdough. So. In the broad category, absolutely. So basically any bread recipe that I ever make starts with at least some sort of starter. Now, it might not be something that I keep around and that I feed 24-7 because I don't eat enough bread to really make that realistic for me. Um, But I do have several bread recipes that are in in my favorites list. And they're all very different, but they are also technically sourdoughs so you don't make it on like a consistent it's not like a consistent sourdough starter basis though right that is something that i that i keep thinking about oh i should do (laughs) and i'm probably gonna keep doing that until spring and then be like no now it's not realistic but i i did keep a starter around uh back when antonio was here because he used to eat a ton of bread and i was like great (laughs) i'm not the only one eating it like yes i'm happy to to make that bread when you're around but i i do think that i can digest sourdough bread better anything that's made with a starter like that and then slow fermented um instead of the rapid rise yeast that you get at the store i think i think my body just does better with it and so that's part of the reason that i like it and then also there's just that that level of flavor that you cannot replace when it's a bread that's been um that has a starter in it yeah I okay so I'm kind of on the same page of like I I wanted to get back into it I used to be kind of into it a few years ago a couple years ago when we lived at our last house and I got out of it when we moved into the camper Taylor doesn't really like sourdough like the sour flavor of sourdough so I've noticed that if I use a starter in sweet things or t- things that are typically sweet, like French toast or um, pancakes, like breakfast type things where you're going to put like syrup on it or anything like that, or cinnamon rolls, anything that's t- supposed to be sweet, he likes that a lot because then it's not as sweet. Like you get a little bit of a different flavor from it and it makes it less sweet. I made cinnamon rolls for Christmas and those turned out really, really, really good. Like I'm going to be making the recipe again for sure with a sourdough starter. So I'm trying to like get back into it slowly, but I can't eat a bunch of sourdough bread by myself. And I really do like sourdough bread, like true sourdough bread, but I can't, I just can't consume the amount that I would need to, to keep up with the starter. So I need to figure out other ways to use it. 
And that's kind of what right. stopped me in the past is like, he doesn't really love sourdough bread unless it's like a sourdough grilled cheese or something. So it's tricky. Like I want to do it. I know my body likes it better, but uh, it's a transition. I think I'm going to start trying to transition other recipes that I make that are uh, like a quick rising yeast and incorporating the starter so that I'm actually like using it and feeding it and it's not just like sitting in my fridge and getting like the little gray alcohol on top <laughs> what do they call it uh, hooch yeah yeah and there's That's... a lot that you can do with the discard too it doesn't always have to be sourdough now that is still the obligation of making something with it right <laughs> that yeah. doesn't just go away but you can make so many things with sourdough discard sourdough crackers like discard crackers are just so good that's one of my favorite things i've been meaning to make some my stomach's growling right now <laughs> maybe this conversation's actually gonna make me go make my sourdough starter <laughs> so that was a whole lot of ideas that we just threw at you guys but we also want to give you some more concrete recipes something that you might be able to follow and make without having to delve into the uh, the tan the tangents of our brain. <laughs> so I'm gonna list a few recipes that I wrote down, and Michaela's gonna share some too. And I mean, this is this is stuff that I eat all the time. This is sort of my go-to recipes as well. This isn't just something that I'm uh, I came up with randomly, but what I call winter salad, <laughs> which is so subjective, is something that I eat a lot of the time, and so that can be. Spinach, kale, whatever greens you have, I typically use just mixed baby greens. And you can put feta in there if you have that. I like to put pecans. I like to put dried cranberries in there. I think those are really delicious. And then I tend to top that with a balsamic vinaigrette. I also like to pull any of the jams that I've made. So wineberry jam or a mixed berry jam are what I have right now. Put a little bit of that in a mason jar, do half extra virgin olive oil and half uh, balsamic vinegar with extra jam in it. I know half and half plus a little bit more equals more than 100, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, mix that together, pour that on top, sprinkle it with a little bit of salt, so good. Can't go wrong with that. And you can throw meat on on top of that if you want. I typically don't. Um, but another go-to for me is pasta. Thick cut pasta with some um, pasta sauce and ground, ground beef. So good. Especially on a really cold night or when I've like really busted my butt doing stuff around the homestead and I just want, I just want carbs and beef. <laughs> so good you can also top that with cheese you can really put cheese on any of these it's gonna make it make it a whole lot better uh and then another go-to is if i just really am tired and i don't want to put the energy into throwing a dinner together i will do fried rice so rice is something that stays in my pantry all the time i can cook it up in 15 minutes and then i'll pull whatever veggies i have in the fridge definitely put some onion in there, definitely put some garlic in there. I always have eggs on hand. So that's typically the protein that goes in there. I don't have to fuss with making a chicken breast or pulling anything else out of the fridge. I just throw a couple eggs in there. I put it all in a hot pan, scramble it together with some, you know, soy sauce, whatever else, whatever other condiments you want to put in there, a little bit of honey. 
That is always a great meal. Fried rice is one of our like things we've practiced so many times to get it perfect because we love it so much. Like we have a cast iron wok and it's one of my favorite things that I own because we love fried rice and udon and stuff like that. So good. A couple of mine, one of them is I made, I literally made it tonight. Like it's in my crock pot right now for my lunches for the rest of the week. I had leftover ham from Christmas in the fridge that I needed to freeze or deal with. And so I just made like a ham and potato ham and potato soup and it's just ham potatoes carrots celery you don't even have to do all those things and then um like I use turkey broth because that's what I had still then I just either put like a little sour cream or heavy cream or something at the end and dip bread into it (laughs) that's one of my favorite things I actually haven't made that a ton like since I started eating meat again because I literally just made a ham for the first time over Christmas, but it used to be one of my favorite meals. My mom used to make a version of it with cabbage in the winter. It was like ham, cabbage, and carrots, I think. And again, the cabbage is iffy for me, but I might try to <laughs> incorporate that at some point. Gnocchi with freezer pesto or mushroom, like a, a buttery mushroom sauce, or a I my favorite one is Chardonnay red sauce. That's the one that we usually make with gnocchi, but I always have gnocchi in the freezer because we always have extra potatoes. And then I just end up making them into gnocchi because (laughs) we like gnocchi a lot. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) And then uh, I mentioned we really, really love ramen and pho. And one of my goals for the year is to, once I start getting Thai basil in the garden again, to make a big batch of pho broth and can it because I crave it every single New Year's. And I I don't know why. It's just like New Year's is coming. I want pho. It's like fresh, I think, but it's also really hearty. So ramen is something we make a lot. We kind of just use seasonal veggies, but I make like a tonkatsu ramen in the fall and winter. And that's where you just basically splash like a little bit of cream in it. So it's like richer I guess I don't know I don't really put meat in my ramen Taylor will do tofu but I like mushrooms and I'll do root veggies like carrots or mostly carrots canned corn simple stuff bok choy bok choy is one of my favorite things to put in ramen um I'm not gonna go through the whole recipe to make ramen because it's actually quite a few ingredients but I do have the recipe on my blog and again we can add that to the description maybe. I don't want to get into the details on these ones, but I'll just list the last three. And those are venison stew, which you can kind of gather that's basically pot roast or any kind of stew. It's like a tomato-based stew. Pot pie, I always do biscuit top pot pie. So I just do carrots, peas, potatoes, turkey or chicken, and celery. I don't know if I said that. And then I do biscuits on top. And then another thing that I guess would be a good idea if you want to use up your spaghetti squash or any squash. I really love kale and sausage stuffed spaghetti squash. And that's one of the best winter meals. I also really like if you put like dried cranberries in it. That's really yummy. Uh, I'm trying to think. I feel like there's... Oh, Papitas are really good in that too. (laughs) 
Okay. Yeah, so I do have a couple other recipes. I ended up with a lot of whole chickens because I harvested chickens. And a lot of the time when I thaw it, I so do not want to spend the five to ten minutes that it's going to take me or the mess that it's going to take to break that down. I know some other people might be faster at breaking chickens down, but I'm not a professional. <laughs> so <laughs> I tend to like just throwing the whole chicken in the oven and roasting it because a roasted chicken is still delicious. And so you can throw herbs on that. You can throw whatever you want on that. And having it, especially with roasted vegetables, if you throw it in the bottom of that roasting pan and they get to cook in that chicken broth, it's just going to make it so much better. And um, that's particularly delicious with potatoes and carrots and some roasted Brussels sprouts. Roasted is kind of the only way that I enjoy Brussels sprouts. I think they should be cooked till they're very crispy. Um, but that's just a personal opinion. And then, <laughs> and then another go-to for me is soup with sourdough bread. So obviously you can put whatever you want in your soups, but when it's really cold outside and especially again when I'm not trying to spend an hour making dinner throw some onion in there saute that with carrot celery garlic throw probably some Italian seasoning in the bottom just at the very end pour broth in there which sometimes I have broth that I've prepared sometimes I just use some um, bouillon base and the tomatoes that I've canned the kale that I have out of the garden and uh, probably some canned beans in there. I like to use cannellini beans. I think they're really delicious. And that recipe never does me wrong. I never have that in the fridge and say, oh no, I have to eat this. <laughs> That's actually, you remind me of something else. Um, butternut squash soup. So I literally do like an apple or two butternut squash that I've roasted and uh, an onion and like boil that really well, blend it up and add a little bit of cream to it. And then I will toast pepitas, put those on top and dip bread in that. And it's amazing. I'm actually, I have some of that in the freezer. I always make so much of it that I'll freeze like three quarts of it afterwards. I'm using that as, it's like a really thick soup. So I'm using that as my, um, my ravioli filling. So I'm going to mix it with cheese and I'm so I'm using it in a different way, but yeah, it's it's still really really good by itself. When I make butternut squash soup, I like to take the time to caramelize the onions because I think it makes it taste just. Oh my! I gosh. always toss I toss like everything on a sheet pan. Like I'll do the onions, I'll do like a head of garlic, butternut squash, whatever, like everything on the sheet pan, and then I like roast it for a while. So good. It makes a huge yeah. difference. I don't eat apples, but I just toss those in. Same with like tomato soup. And then you make a grilled cheese sandwich. I like to make my grilled cheese sandwiches with fresh mozzarella because I'm a weirdo. But sourdough bread, fresh mozzarella, and homemade tomato soup. Oh, my goodness. I'm that, that meal is hard to beat. <laughs> We're just making Michaela really, really hungry. <laughs> it's uh, 9.06 p.m. and I need to eat dinner. <laughs> I'm going to go stuff my face with mac and cheese after this. At least it's homemade, though. <laughs> there you go. Homemade roasted poblano mac and cheese. I mean, that sounds gourmet to me. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. 
All right. Well, I think we thoroughly discussed that. That actually ended up in a much lengthier conversation than I even anticipated, um, how you can eat seasonally or prepare to eat seasonally through the winter or prepare ahead of time in summer and fall when these harvests are coming in to put that food away for when you do need it in winter. We've shared some of our favorite recipes and ideas with you guys, and we're curious if you have any ideas for winter foods that you like to make, any recipes you want to share with us, let us know in a comment below. Thanks for joining us on this episode of She Said Homestead. We hope you enjoyed our chat. Before we say goodbye, we'd love to hear from you. Send your homesteading stories to us at shesaidhomestead at gmail.com. We can't wait to share them on the air. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram for updates and sneak peeks at what's coming up next. If you like video podcasts, make sure you subscribe to the She Said Homestead YouTube channel too. We can't thank you enough for being part of the She Said Homestead community. Until next time, happy homesteading.